If you have your Bible, we'll be here in just a moment, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you got your Bible or if you're really cool and you have the Bible on your phone, it's this new thing. I don't know if you've heard about it, but you can get the Bible on your phone. It's incredible. But it's good to be with you tonight. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive headfirst right in. Are you ready to dive headfirst? Okay. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we're able to gather in this room, God, to lift your name. I just pray once again for these next few moments. I just pray, God, that my mind would be clear so I could hear you in that every word that I say be yours. And let me not worry about anyone's opinion or applause, but I just pray that I could genuinely do the best that I can through the power of your spirit, deliver that which you've placed in my soul. And I just pray that everyone in this room would be prepared for what you have for us tonight. I thank you for your word, that it's not lost relevance, that it's still as relevant as it's ever been. I thank you that we can just look to it and glean from it and grow in our understanding and, and grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge of you every day. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you thankful for the word of God? It is relevant, it is good, and I'm glad to be able to share it with you tonight. Let me just start by saying, just to get your mind in the right place, that, um, and I don't have to expound on this whatsoever, because you already know these things, but when you, I, I stood... Our church had a safe zone last night, and it was awesome. And I just want to just applaud everyone who was there, including Pastor Mike, who put it on. I so appreciate you, Mike, and what you do and your love for the community. But I just stood, and I, you get to see, you know, and you drive around Popper Bluff, and you look around, and you just look at all the different faces that came through these doors last night. And you can just see people from all different walks of life. You can tell just by, and it's, it's not meant to be judgmental. You can just tell by sometimes the way people carry themselves and the way they're just, they, they're, all, they're even, un, they was even uncomfortable to come in this place last night. There were some people they would just walk by and they would just stick their head down and you'd say hi and they would just nod, which that doesn't bother me at all. But what I am saying is it doesn't take very much if your eyes are open at all to see that things in this town, in your neighborhood, where you live, where you roam, at your job, wherever you are every day, if you're around people, it doesn't take much to see that things are not the way they should be. And ultimately, things aren't the way that they could be. And that's the hope, right? And I don't have to expound on that anymore, but... As a preacher and a pastor, I, if, if, if any preacher or pastor is like me, I ask myself, you know, what is it going to take 
for people not just to see the problem. It's easy to see the problem. It's easy to talk about the problems. It's easy to gripe about the problems. Not just to see the problem, but, but to have, have a desire to change it. And not just change for change's sake. We don't need change for change's sake. We need change for God's sake. Because that's what he desires. That's what he wants. And there's one thing that I know for sure. I know lots of things for sure. But this one thing I know for sure. That one message isn't going to fix it all. I know that. Is it frustrating? Sure. But I know it. It's going to take a lot more than just talking including, this includes myself, but the question really is, what do we do? That's the question. For starters, when we see these things, one thing we most definitely do, we don't, we don't sit back. We don't just sit back. We fight. We fight. We need to fight What's going on in our community? We need to fight the right way, with the right mindset, the right motives, the right weapons. And just to be clear, when you see something wrong and you decide, you know, I know what will fix it. I, I'm just going to go on social media and I'm going to make a post and it's going to be powerful. And, and all the people that see it are just the people that you agreed to friend and they probably already agree with you anyway so that's not the answer right I like what Charles Marsh said a rant on social media is unlikely to change anyone's worldviews and a punch in the face will do less so how do we fight what do we fight with we fight with love. You say, oh, that, that's really simple. You're oversimplifying. Oversimplify. No, 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 no. We fight with love. I truly believe at the depth of who I am, deep down in my soul, deep down in my soul, that the answers to the world's problems and the largest issues in this world, the answers to them, the solution to them, lie at the very foundation of our faith in Christ Jesus. The answers to every problem in this earth lie at the foundation of our faith. And love is at the foundation of our faith. Love is the answer. Love is what you and I are called to do, if we would love God and love our neighbor on a daily basis, we will affect change in our world, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces every day. This world needs love more than they need anything else. And there are so many people, so many organizations trying to make this counterfeit acceptance, counterfeit love, 
God created love. Only thing that Satan could do is counterfeit anything. He can create nothing. And there are people who are searching for love and they're searching for something real. And if they can't find it from us, they're going to go find it somewhere else. They're going to go find counterfeit love. We have genuine love living inside of us. We have met the creator of the world who at his very core is love. It's part of who he is. And we can't be quiet about it. The love that this world's need is the love of Jesus Christ that is unmatchable, unmeasurable, and unconditional. Love is what fueled Jesus to come down, seated at the right hand of God, comes down, is born like you and I, lives a perfect life, hangs out with people that religion had already disregarded, heals the broken, the sick, sets free the captive, (laughs) sets free the oppressed, preaches good news in love, just to be spat on and be beaten and made fun of and mocked. And as he was being made fun of, I believe Jesus was saying, it's okay, I still love you. Those people that hit him and beat him and spat on him and cursed him and mocked him. He sat there and he said, it's okay. I died for you too. And I believe that through the love of Jesus, those very people who put him on a cross when he sat, when he stood there, whatever you want to call it, on the cross. And he looked across the crowd and he saw it. He said, I died for you. I'm dying for you. And that's what kept him there. Love is what kept Jesus on the cross when his friends betrayed him. It's what kept him there when he felt all alone. It's what kept him there when God had to turn his face from him. Love is what kept Jesus on the cross. Love is what brought Jesus down from earth. Love is available to everyone. The gospel is available to everyone because Jesus loved you. Any moment, any moment, he could have escaped it. But love, love is what we fight with, people. Love is what should fuel everything that we do and everything we fight with. Someone needs to tell this world how much Jesus loves them. Someone has to show them how much Jesus loves them. And that someone is you, it's I, it's the church, it's this church. So tonight, I'm gonna go to Luke 10 for a moment, or a few moments. Luke 10, 25 through 37. I wanna just share from you from a message entitled, Love Alone is Worth a Fight. Luke 10, 25 through 37, known as the, here in just a minute, you'll see the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, stood up to put him, excuse me, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, I love this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to a man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. First thing I wanna bring out is simple and it's plain, but it's this. We, point number one, we're all commanded to love. We are commanded to love. We do not have a choice in the matter. You don't have a choice. It's what you're commanded to do. If we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, we will not inherit eternal life. Matthew twenty-two forty. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. If we're doing those things, those two things, if we're doing those two things, we're following all of God's law. And I love the fact that these two things these two commandments, you can't separate them. There's no separation between the two. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. And you can't truly love your neighbor unless you love God. First John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, his neighbor, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The lawyer in this text, who is trying to put Jesus to the test, understood the law. He understood it very well. He knew it. And Jesus confirms right here in the passage that he answered the, the question correctly. Verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But we see in verse 29, the lawyer didn't like Jesus' response. He didn't like it because the truth was he didn't love his neighbor the lawyer wasn't satisfied. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify his actions. 
Because surely this command wasn't to love everybody. I mean, that's crazy. So he asked the question in verse 29, who is my neighbor? Say that. Who is my neighbor? So make sure you're awake out there. You might already know this. You might not. This, this lawyer was a Jew, and Jesus, in this parable, when he was speaking, was speaking in front of a Jewish audience, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're not going to dive too deep here yet, but this lawyer, being a Jew, would never consider a Samaritan to be a neighbor. You might already known that. You might not. That wouldn't have crossed his mind. A Gentile, Samaritan, my neighbor, love them, what? Second thing, simple but profound to me. We can't pick and choose who we love. Did you hear me? We can't pick and choose who we love. Who is our neighbor? Everybody. Everyone, anyone we come in contact with, literally everyone, it goes against our very human nature to love everybody. It's hard to love people who view the world completely differently than you do. It's hard to love people who have different viewpoints than you do. You might have a hard time loving people that watch a different news station than you do. Hello. It's hard to love people who seem evil to the core. It's hard to love people who want to harm you. It's hard to love people who have done harm to you. Have you ever come across anyone that just loves the things that you just like have just such a disdain for? Like I've been talking to dudes that I'll meet and we'll just be having conversation. They don't know me, I don't know them, and I'll be talking to them, and it's like they like to shoot Hoyt bows, which I don't understand that. I'm a bow hunter, and Hoyt's been trashed for as long as I can remember. I'm a Matthews man. I'm like, okay, he likes Hoyt. I bet he drives a Ford, too, and it turns out, yeah, he does. He sure does, and then you talk a little bit longer, and not only that, he loves LeBron, and he thinks he's the goat, and you just, I just... I'm saying, Lord, you want me to love this guy? And then you talk a little longer, he thinks that Rick Clun's a better bass fisherman than Kevin Van Dam. And then he says that the Backstreet Boys are better than NSYNC. And you're just like, okay, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even, NSYNC all the way. I don't even know, like, I, I don't know if I can be, Lord, Lord, do you really, you really want me to love this guy? <laughs> Hmm. How quick it, can we forget that Jesus literally wants us to love everyone? That we don't get to pick and choose who we love. Hmm. Jesus that day didn't sit there and say, you know, when he was on the cross, when he was at trial, he didn't look at someone and say, you know, I don't think I like you. I don't think I'm going to love you anymore. You beat me, you spat on me. I just disregard you. I'm just going to put you away. There's no hope for you. No. No. Who are we to think? Who are we to think? 
that we can pick and choose who we love. Let's dive a little deeper. Who is my neighbor? And we see, verse 30, Jesus tells this parable. And he tells the story of a man who was beaten, robbed of everything, and left for dead. And we can assume that this man who was beaten was, was a Jew. Because of the audience that Jesus was talking to, because Jesus made a point to say where he was walking to and where he was walking from, all signs point to Jesus referring to this man as being a Jew. This Jewish man, no doubt, was in dire need of someone's help. And in verse 31, a priest walks by. A priest walks by. The priest knew the law. He knew what God's commands were, but apparently the law had slipped his mind. And when he saw him, he gets as far away as he can from this beaten, bruised man and keeps on going. What if the most Christ-like person, imagine the most Christ-like person you know doing this. And then in verse 32, we see a Levite. A Levite comes along, surely this Levite, as, just try to, if you've read this a hundred times, a million times, heard 15 sermons about it, just, just when you read scripture, just try to imagine you've never read it before. Um, try to imagine you're standing right there and you're one of those people in that audience and they're like, they hear the word Levite. Yeah, Levite, Levite, he'll help. You know, the priest, I don't know what his problem was that day, he'll help. But a Levite comes along, surely he'll help this man. The Levite knew the law. Levites were sophisticated. I can't even say it. Sophisticated. I'm not sophisticated. Socially respected, elite Jewish men. Surely he will help a brother out. But what did he do? He did the same thing the priest did. He gets to the other side of the road, gets as far as away as he can, and he keeps on a walk. And I can imagine those Jews in the crowd, their, their jaws might have been hitting the floor. We're going to pause here for a second. Say pause. Just make sure you're alive out there. Pause. We're going to pause here. I can't help but wonder and ask the question, what excuses could these two men in this parable possibly have for not helping a dying man out? It leads me to my third thing. The third thing. Love makes no excuses. What possible Excuse could someone come up with to not help someone who is beaten, robbed of everything, and left for dead? How did they justify that? When they were walking home, when they got to the synagogue, how did they justify it? Did they tell themselves, I just don't have time for that man's inconvenience? I have other plans. I have church service to get to. I've got to go. Did they say, it'll be okay. I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray for him. Did they just tell themselves, you know, I seen that guy. I got a good look at him. Even though I got as far away as I could, I seen him and I don't think he had any hope. I don't think there's any way 
He can make it. As far as I'm concerned, that guy is as good as dead. I would like to believe, I would like to believe that if I were the priest or the Levite in the story, that I would have stopped and helped. But this is the question. How many of us do what they did on a regular basis? Are you with me? Are you awake? How many times do we come into contact with people who have a physical need? They don't have money for groceries, but we are stocked up for the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, in fact. You know someone who's got leaky pipes or a leaky roof, and they don't know how to fix it, and they don't have the resources to fix it, but, and you have the tools and the ability to fix it, just not the time. You know someone who, who doesn't have a good winter coat, and you have one for every day of the week. How many times do we come in contact with people who have a spiritual need? They are broken on the inside. They're beaten and bruised. They're spiritually dead or dying. They need our help. And I just want, I just want you to understand something else. This is for free. It's not just that, that they, this man needed help. He was ripe for help. Like some people are just begging. They're ripe. They need love so bad. They are so ready for someone to share good news with them. I believe that there are people, whether you think it or see it, they are ripe and they are hungry and they are just waiting for someone to come and to show them truth and to show them love and to meet their need. This man in this parable, he was ripe. He needed someone and he needed them now, if we have the resources to help someone out, do we help? Do we come to their aid? Love doesn't come up with excuses. Love takes action. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story, and I don't like to tell these stories. And so please, I hope that you don't take my motives wrong. But I'm going to tell you this story anyway because... Because God told me to. And I'm going to cry. I'm just going to let you know in advance. Uh. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago, got out of youth and I was on my way home, and I've started not eating before youth because I got sick of, like, burping while I was preaching. It was terrible. So I was like, ah, i got to stop doing that. So you're like, that's gross. So I'm just being honest with you. So I'm on the way home. I'm like, I'll go to Jimmy John's. So I go through Jimmy John's, Jimmy's John's. I go through the drive-thru, and I get my sandwich, and I pull around, and I see a woman, and she is setting under the overhang at Jimmy's John's, just sitting there. She's got her stuff scattered everywhere. And I see her, and I don't process it, and I, I drive down the road a little ways, and the Lord's like, you need to turn around, and you need to go give her money. I'm like, I'm a little hesitant. I'm like, she's a woman, she's alone. He's like, no, go give her some money. I say, okay. So I, I pull, pull back around, and I roll down my window, and 
And without a thought, I just say, ma'am, have you had any dinner yet? She doesn't look at me. I could tell as soon as I pulled up, she was scared and afraid. She looks d- She looks down. She says, I don't need your help. And I don't need your money. And I'm not going with you anywhere. And she said the same thing three or four times. And I just let her finish. I said, ma'am, you got the wrong guy. I said, that's not me. I said, I just simply want to give you some money just to make sure you can at least get a meal tonight. And she keeps her eyes down and she looks at the ground. She says, well, I'll take your money, but I'm not going anywhere with you. And I said, ma'am, that's, that's not me. I just want to give you money. So she cautiously gets up. I look and she's got her, her shoes off. She is limping. It seemed to me like she'd been walking all day long. She keeps her head down. She never, never really looks at me. She takes the money and I say, ma'am, I'm so sorry that I scared you. She said, you didn't scare me. I'm fine. And she went, she walked back under the overhang. And that, that night, you know, I never had quite an experience like that, um, go like that. And it really opened my eyes to some things. And I was just driving home, and I just thought, what is that woman's story? How many people have taken advantage of her? What happened? Why is she so afraid? And what if, what if she would have encountered more people who love Jesus? Would, would she be so afraid and be so sour? Or would her life be different? I'm not here tonight saying that every person with a sign or every person you see that you should stop and give them your time, your money, your resources. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. When you see someone, you should, if you have a good relationship with the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you. He'll tell you, you know. But also just, and I'm going to say something that's controversial. I'm the youth pastor. That's what we're supposed to do, right? I'm just kidding. But seriously, it's a little controversial. Something I've heard all my life for a long time. I've been in church for a long time. And, and I'm about to say something, and it might, like I said, it's a little controversial. But I've heard people justify not giving their resources to people because of a certain passage of scripture that says, don't, don't cast your pearls before the swine, right? You've heard that in the past. It's Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. It's also found in other places. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before the pigs. Lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Hear my heart here. Hear my heart here. 
I've, I've heard so many people, and probably done this myself in the past before I studied this scripture for myself, justify myself not giving my time, resources, and money because I say, you know what, I can, I can gather enough information. That person, it, it's one of those pigs the Bible's talking about. And as you study this passage of scripture, first, who am I to call someone a pig or a dog? How am I to judge that myself without the help of the Holy Spirit? Secondly, that's not what this passage of Scripture is talking about. If you, go st- if you disagree with me after I say this, go study this out for yourself, then come and talk to me again. But what is holy in this passage? What are pearls? It's not your time. It's not your money. It's not your resources. It's the gospel. That's what it is. Jesus is saying if you share the gospel with someone who does not want to hear it, their heart is hard, they are not ripe, it's time to move on and go share it with someone else. That's what the scripture is about. So let's not try to take scripture and twist it and use it for our benefit, but let us instead have the mind and the heart and the love of Christ and be full of the Holy Spirit and know who to go to, know who to talk to, know what to do. He will tell you. The Spirit will tell you exactly how much money to give. He will tell you, you just need to give them food, not money. He will tell you. I encourage you, if you disagree with that, just go study it for yourself. Moving on, moving on. I'm taking too long. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, verse 33. Verse 33, this is what it says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, excuse me, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Number four, love fills us with compassion. Love fills us with compassion. This world, this Jew laying in the ditch, didn't just need someone's moment of sympathy. This world doesn't just need your sympathy. It needs your compassion. Sympathy looks at the man and says, oh, that poor man, he has to be in so much pain. And you might even go shed a tear about it. Sympathy makes us feel better. Isn't that what it does? But compassion is what gets us to grow across the street and help those in need. It's compassion. Popper Bluff needs Christians who don't just have sympathy. They need Christians who are full of compassion. Moving on. Let's keep going. We see the Samaritan go above and beyond. Above and beyond what anyone would have been expected to do in this situation. Number five, love goes above and beyond. It says in the scripture, the Samaritan, he put aside the social tension. He put aside the disagreement. He put aside the difference of opinion. He put aside the years of hate between two groups of people. He put it aside 
And not only did he do that, he poured on the oil, he poured on the wine to help heal and clean his wounds. He took him to an inn. He gave the innkeeper two denarii, which was two days' wages, and said, I will come back, and if this man needs anything else, I will pay whatever you spend on him. The Samaritan went above and beyond. This world should never be out loving people of God. God did not hold back any of his love for us. We need to stop holding back. Moving on, the, the, the sixth and final point of the night. You're like, six? Oh my gosh, yes, I know, oh my gosh. This is a fast one. Notice two things with me. This good Samaritan, he didn't stick around and wait for this man to wake up so he could tell him what he did for him. He didn't write a note. I don't see that anywhere. He didn't write a note and say, hey, it was me. My name is this. So glad to help you. He didn't wait to receive thanks. He just, he just loved. Number six, love gives and expects nothing in return. Not everyone that we show the love of Jesus to is going to accept it. Not everyone is going to be thankful for our compassion, but we are to love and expect nothing in return. We don't just love people to make ourselves feel better. We don't just love people to impress our peers. We simply love because we understand how much God loves us and that God truly does love everyone's Everyone and God shows love even to those who will never, don't ever accept it at all. God loves everyone in love. Love alone. Love alone is worth the fight. In closing, and you can remain seated and don't get too excited because it's still going to be a little bit. But in closing, If you are not ready, if you are not willing to love your neighbor, you are not ready for revival. Did you hear what I said? If you're not ready to love everyone, you're not ready for revival. You're not ready to be a part of what God wants to do in these last days. You're not. Loving people who think, act, and believe differently than you do is the highest form of spiritual maturity that someone can achieve. Did you hear what I said? Loving people who think, act, believe different than you do is the highest form of spiritual maturity that one can attain. Love like this cannot be attained through hard work and determination. Love like this can only be attained through intimacy with God the Father, putting on the mind and eyes of Jesus Christ and through the overflow and the power of the Spirit of God. 
We Pentecostals sometimes, I love us, but sometimes we get a little mixed up in some things. And sometimes we view maturity through the wrong lens. We might think someone's mature because they can preach a good sermon, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, they heal people by laying on the, of hands. We might think that, but I, I, that doesn't mean someone's spiritually mature. And let me explain. I've had several conversations with close friends. Small, intimate conversations with people. And they've came to me with the question, several people. And we talk about it and they ask me, Zach, do you really believe like our church believes, like is in our doctrine? If you went through Connect Track, you, I'm sure you heard this. Do you really believe that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I say, yes, yes, I do. Our church believes that. And I don't just believe that because our church does. I believe it because I've studied out the scripture. And if you read through the book of Acts and you read all of these different things, you will see, it come, you come to the conclusion that yes, the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the second work of the Spirit, is speaking in tongues. Of course. But then they asked me the question. Then they asked me this question. Well, why is it that the case if... I know people who speak in tongues or who have ran the aisles in church or whatever, and they are some of the most mean-spirited, angry, hard-to-work-with people that I know. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, does that, is there some connection you have with the Spirit? Is there some maturity to you? Yes, but possibly, but we have to stop elevating the gifts of the Spirit in someone if they lack the fruit of the Spirit. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Just because someone speaks in tongues doesn't mean that their life's byproduct or the fruit's of the spirit. You want to see someone that's spiritually mature? Analyze their fruit. Analyze their fruit. Do they have a connection with God? Do they have intimacy with the Father? What's their fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe your words you learned were different because you're a KJV baby. But they mean the same. That, that is spiritual maturity. We got to stop. We got to get our minds right. We got to get our minds right. We got to stop putting the focus on the wrong things. I don't want gifts of the Spirit without fruit of the Spirit. Do you? Is that what you want? It shouldn't be. 1 Corinthians 13, which is at the end, 1 Corinthians 11 through 13, they, they all go together. I'm going to read the whole thing for, for good reason. You've heard it read, but we're going to read it again, and it's not going to hurt you any. Amen? I'm almost done. Stay patient. Say, I'm patient. 
And you're like jittering. Like, right? Verse 1, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Ouch. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith, all faith, excuse me, as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. That's free. It's right here. Your wife's like, yes, you do. It's not, yeah, you'll get that on the way home. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. For tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know that in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these three is what? Love. When you read the love, when you really think about it, the parable of the Good Samaritan, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, and you really analyze yourself, if you really knew yourself, you would know there is no possible way I can love like that. In and of myself, no way. No way. If you said, yes, I can, Turn on the news you don't like and see if that's still true. How do we love people? We pursue the one that this passage describes. We pursue him. The more we pursue the one who loves unconditionally, the closer we get to having love like this. More unconditional love than conditional. If you just stand with me tonight. 